Well, I'd like for us to look in uh, Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. We're going to begin reading in verse 39. The title of the message this morning is Agony in Gethsemane. And it's about agonizing prayer. And I think the most important thing that we can do as a Christian, when we talk about Christian ministry and service, is we need to learn how to get a hold of God. And I want to consider some things of Christ praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 39. And it came to Pat, I'm sorry, it came out. He came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up for, from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful uh, to be able to gather together and have the word of God before us. We're thankful, Lord, that we can follow the example of Christ when it comes to agonizing in prayer. I'm thankful, Lord, that when we cry out to thee, Lord, you hear us and you respond to us, God. You always desire to fulfill your perfect will in us and through us. So, God, I pray that you just speak to our hearts in a special way. May the Holy Spirit have his free will and way in each heart. I pray for an anointing of the Holy Spirit upon me as I preach that I might have great liberty and freedom to say the things that God would have me to say. And God, I pray that after we're done studying the word of God, Lord, that you would impress upon our hearts in this matter of entering into this agonizing prayer. That we might be able to see souls saved and we might be able to see the name of Jesus Christ exalted and lifted up. And so, God, I pray that you might bless the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our text verse is verse 44. It says, In being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Agony and Gethsemane. Before I get in the message, I'll just give you a little bit of background about myself. I didn't get saved until I was 27 years old. I grew up on a dairy farm in South Jersey, and after I left the farm, I went into the Marine Corps for four years, became an alcoholic, and then after I got out of the Marine Corps, I was a truck driver for four years, and my mom had prayed for my father to be saved for 28 years, and Dr. Tom Malone was going to be preaching at my home church for the anniversary of the church, and my mom wanted me to go to church, so my dad would go to church. And I told her, I said, Mom, I don't want to go to church. Who wants to go to church? And I've been to church all my life in Sunday school at a Baptist church. They never told me how to be saved, never told me about heaven. And I said, I don't want to go to church. And she said, just do this one thing for me uh, so your dad will go. I want him to hear this preacher. So I said, all right, I'll go to church. So I went to church with her. My dad went to church, and Dr. Malone was preaching. And I'll tell you, he preached the word of God. And he said, once that guy at the end of the service, he said, once they put you six feet down, start throwing dirt on top of you, it's too late then. And my dad got up as an alcoholic, got up out of the seat, went forward, and got gloriously saved. 
And that week, that week, I'd so convicted my heart that one day, night, I got up at 2 a.m. in the morning and knelt on beside my bed and cried out to God and said, God, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't want to die and go to hell. God, will you save me? And God saved me, and I never touched a drop of liquor since. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have been, behold, old things have been passed. I messed that verse up. You have to understand this. I am a little nervous here this morning. Amen. And, uh, but in a minute, I'm going to let loose and we'll be all right. <laughs> Preach! Anyway. <laughs> but I got saved and God changed my life miraculously. About three months after I got saved, I felt God call me to preach. And the reason why I felt him call me to preach, all I could see was all the people I went to Christians, I mean, went to Sunday school with in the Baptist church all my life, dying and going to hell. That's all I could see. And I thought, why wouldn't somebody tell me how to be saved? Why would I go to church and have Sunday school pins that long on the front of me? It looked like a general from Sunday school. Why in the world would I have all that recognition of my attendance in Sunday school, but nobody would tell me how to be saved? And all I, I'll tell you, I just sat there and I wept. God just broke my heart. I said, if nobody will tell people how to be saved, I'll tell them how to be saved. And I didn't know what God was doing in my heart. I went to my pastor. I said, I feel God's calling me to preach, but I don't know what that means. And I said, I just want to tell people how to be saved. And he said, well, he shared some things with me, and I surrendered my life and got faithful in church and started growing in the Lord. And one year later, I got saved in the fall of 1979. In the fall of 1980, I went to Bible college. But I called my father, who had only been saved. I loved my father. I respected my father. He was a man's man, and he had wisdom, and uh, uh, for an unsaved man, he had spiritual wisdom that most spiritual people today, that are saved people, don't have. But I called my dad, and I said, I wanted to talk to him, and I talked to him, and I said, Dad, I, I feel that God has called me to preach. And he sat, and I could see his face right now. My dad's in heaven right now. But he sat down, and he looked at me, and he said, boy, I'm going to tell you one thing. Don't you play games with God. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. This is serious business, this matter of living this Christian life. This is not a game. It's a spiritual warfare. And if we're going to be able to win the battle against the wiles of the devil, then we've got to get on spiritual ground. This is not something to be playing around with. Warren Worsby said this, Jesus' prayers reveal the conflict in the whole, his holy soul as he faced bearing the sins of the world on the cross. When you get, have a Gethsemane experience, pray what he prayed, not what I will, but what you will. Peter had a sword, but Jesus had a cup. You need not fear the cup the Father has prepared for you. Jesus could submit to the abuse of men because he had already submitted to the will of God. And I want you to know this morning, you can trust God when things aren't going right and you're agonizing in prayer and you need something, an anointing and a move of God that God can hear your prayers and God will respond to you in accordance with fulfilling his will in your life. Now, I've learned how to pray. I've asked God to teach me to pray. I want to know more things about praying. I don't feel like I know enough about praying. But I remember I was in Bible college. Uh, my wife and I didn't have any money. We had to pray and ask God to feed us. I was working a full-time job about 70, 75 hours a week driving buses to pay my way through college. So I'd go to school and I'd go to work in the afternoon, get home at 2 in the morning, sleep 3, 4 hours and go back to school again. 
And one night my alarm clock broke. And uh, they called me into the disciplinary committee. And they lived, they had a line on the floor back then. I don't know what you guys have, but they had a line on the floor. You had to stand at that line in the discipline committee. And they said, Mike, you were late for class. Why were you late for class? I said, well, I didn't get home from work till 3 in the morning. And class started at 7.30 and my alarm clock broke. And the dean and men said, well, that's not my problem. You're supposed to be in class on time. They gave me demerits. Now, I didn't get mad at him and I wasn't upset with him, but I needed an alarm clock. My wife and I needed food, and we were praying. Listen, we didn't tell a living soul what our need was. And we were praying, asking God to give us food, and we prayed and said, God, I need an alarm clock. Will you give me an alarm clock? And one night after church on a Wednesday night, my wife and I were coming home, and we walked up to our apartment, and on the doorstep of our apartment was two bags of groceries with an alarm clock on top of it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've watched God put gas in my car. I've watched God feed me. I've watched God do all kinds of things like that. But I'm not talking about that type of prayer this morning. I'm talking about a prayer that goes deep in the recesses of your soul where you're agonizing because you must have God to do something and to move in your life. Harold Vaughn, evangelist Harold Vaughn said this, Every great achievement of Jesus was preceded by prayer. He said this, he said, kneeling lower takes you deeper that you may lift, it may lift you higher. And we've got to be able to dive into this matter of agonizing in our prayer, being able to weep and pour out our hearts before the Lord to where God is going to do something miraculous on your behalf. And, and you know, you guys are Bible college students. You certainly know uh, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John always presents to us a different concept of who Christ is. Matthew presents to us that Jesus is the king. Um, Mark always presents to us that Christ is a servant. And then Luke, is, he is presented as the son of man. And then John, he's presented as the son of God. And what I want to do is look at different passages in each of the four gospels in reference of Jesus' prayer, agonizing prayer, in the Garden of Gethsemane. So let's start here in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 37. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 37. It says that he took with him Peter and, John, uh, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And so the, we know here the word sorrowful uh, means to literally be thrown into a state of sorrow. It means to be overwhelmed with grief. When it says heavy, it literally means this, to be in a great distress and agony. And so here is Jesus Christ presented to the Jew as the king of Israel. And yet here he is when he is praying. Matthew presents him as being exceeding sorrowful and heavy. And, and is talking about being so overwhelmed with grief in your heart and in your soul uh, that you must get a hold of God and God's got to do something miraculous. So I've identified this passage as Jesus having a tearful experience because of the fact that he is sorrowing as a king that is weeping for his people. Oftentimes I think we forget of the matter of weeping before God for souls to be saved. I think many times we have forgotten that God wants us to come to a good old-fashioned mourner's bench and trust the living God and cry out to him that people might be saved. 
I remember years ago, back in 1984, my wife and I graduated from Bible college. We went out to start a church in New Jersey. And uh, we, we used to fast and pray, and we'd sit there and tears would run down our faces, weeping for the people in New Jersey that they might be saved. I mean, I'm talking about agonizing, agonizing in a way that you, listen, you don't even desire to eat because of the fact that you're overwhelmed with sorrow. It is thrust upon you. It creates a grievance in your heart that you cry out to God and need God to move in a miraculous way. Notice, first of all, his tearful experience is Roman number one, but letter A is simply this, lacking loyalty at the point of death. In Matthew 26 and verse 31, it says, Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. In verse 34, he said, Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. In verse 45, Jesus said, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. I believe in the the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ is weeping and he's agonizing in his prayer because of the fact those that should have been loyal to him have betrayed him. Those who should have been thrilled to be with him have disowned him and walked away from him. He said, you'll all be offended in me. And Peter said, no, I won't be offended. He said, no, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before this night is over. And so here is Jesus agonizing in prayer because of a lack of loyalty at the point of death. But he's also agonizing because of a lack of integrity at the place of need. In verse 40, it says, He cometh to his disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith to them, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. A lack of integrity in his disciples at the time of their need. They should be praying that they won't fall into temptation. They should be praying they've already been warned that you're all going to be offended in me. I don't know about you, that should drive a, a stake into my heart that says, wait a minute, if I'm not going to, if I'm going to be offended in him, I need to pray more earnestly that I won't be offended in him. And so he's praying and agonizing because of a lack of integrity in the place of need. And I believe there's a lack of integrity if we who claim Christ as our Savior aren't even willing to talk to him. There was a lack of piety at the betrayal, plan of betrayal in verse 45. Sleep on now. And I think many times God is just telling us, just go ahead and sleep. Don't worry about staying up after the midnight hour praying. Don't worry about getting up early in the morning and praying. You'd rather sleep. So there's no piety. There's there's no will to be spiritual in talking to your Father in heaven when you know that, wait a minute, betrayal is upon us. Uh, Literally, he's about ready to fall in the hands of sinners to be crucified. And yet his disciples aren't willing to pray. So Jesus is... Uh, sorrowful and very heavy, it's a tearful experience. How often are we willing to weep uh, before the Lord because of the condition of man and the opportunities to be able to lead others to Christ? Number two, I see there's a fearful experience here. 
In Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14 and verse 33 says that he taketh with him Peter, James, and John and became, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. As Matthew presents him as king, he is a king that is weeping for his people in agonizing prayer. Mark presents him as a servant, and as a servant, he is powerless against the problem. It says here that he was sore amazed, and what I understand about that word sore amazed, it literally means to be thrown into a state of terror. It literally carries with it the idea that you're scared out of your mind. Now, we understand the, the perfectness and the will of God in the life of Christ. We understand the deity of Christ, that he is God in flesh. But we also understand that Mark's presenting him as a servant. And as the servants of God, I'm going to tell you, there's times when you're going to be scared to death. You're going to be sore amazed. And when you're sore amazed, there'll be a prayer that is birthed out of a fearful experiences. There's been times in my life where I've been scared to death. I remember years ago, I think it was around the year 2000 or so, there was a major situation in my church and uh, lost quite a few people out of the church, lost over $50,000 a year in income in our church, all kinds of accusations going around that were false. And my wife, listen, my wife and I sat in our living room and we got on our face before God, and we wept before the Lord. I thought my ministry was over at Ocean County Baptist Church. There was nothing I could say. There was nothing I could do. There was no defense that I could offer. I, I remember Job. Job said, if I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. And I'm going to tell you, when you get in a place where there is nowhere to turn, there's no means of escape, there's only one that you can talk to that will understand what you're going through, is when you talk to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you, you'll be sore amazed. And you'll enter into a prayer life of Christ in this agonizing prayer. Why is he agonizing as a servant powerless against the problem? Because his holiness must receive sinfulness. And I thought about that. And I thought, here is the eternal son of God who enjoyed all the accolades and worship of all the angels of heaven from eternity past, and yea, he'll enjoy them for eternity future. They never, listen, never tasted death. He never experienced sin. He never did anything that was contrary to that which was holy and righteous, and he is at the point of taking our filthy sin on himself. And the Bible says when he's facing that, he was sore amazed. He was scared out of his mind. As a woman who is pure and is attacked and raped by a man and defiled, Christ's holiness is about ready to take on our sinfulness. And he's sore amazed. Not only that, but his person must face the demons. And uh, thinking of him as a person, he's going to have to face the demons of hell. Now, I understand in heaven, he casts Satan out of heaven. And I understand the power of God against Satan. He is a defeated foe. But at the moment of the Garden of Gethsemane, at the moment that he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
He is facing the demons of hell that want to defame him and disgrace him as the eternal son of God. Now listen, I've stood in front of some people that are demon-possessed. I've dealt with some people who are overwhelmed with the work of Satan in their life. And I'm going to tell you one thing right now. It can become a scary situation. In Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, where am I here? Verse 27. Jesus said, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. And I can't help but imagine that Christ, as he's agonizing in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he's thinking the demons of hell are fighting against him. He's the strong man of the house. And if he succumbs to the demons of hell, you understand the demons will take over his house. And so the Bible says he was sore amazed. Not only because this person must face the demons of hell as a man that is strong, that is yet beaten by another, but his immortality must take on death. The one who created life is going to taste, taste death. The one who said before Abraham was, I am. The one who is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. This Jesus is about ready. The one who enjoys life in and of himself is ready to experience death for you and for me. And the Bible says he was sore amazed. And when he was sore amazed, he prayed more earnestly. Listen, our prayer life cannot be... This simple approach to prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul he'll take. We need to pray earnestly and fervently with a sense of reverence and holiness and fearfulness of what this world has in it and what it's doing to people and what the devil can do to you if you're not getting a hold of the throne of God. I have found that superficial prayer is not sufficient in 2017. So we see it's a tearful experience that Jesus went through. It was a fearful experience. Number three, in Luke chapter 22, back where we started, it was a needful experience. It was a needful experience because as a man, Luke presents him as the son of man. As a man, he's depending on God for power. And it is needful for us to go through those times of tears and go through those times of trials because it will bring us to a point of trusting more literally in our God who can take care of us. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. When I think about this needful experience, he's entering into the suffering for others. Verse 41, it says he withdrew from them a stone's cast. I always was amazed at that phrase. He he withdrew from them a stone's cast. In other words, he was not so far away that they couldn't see him. And he's giving them an example to follow. And listen, if it wasn't for the fact that they were sleeping, they would hear the cries of the Savior to his Father in heaven. If it was not for the fact that they were sleeping and still praying, they would have heard the cries of the Savior as he would desire for the will of his Father to be accomplished in his life. And he's doing this. Why was it needful? Because he's entering in to suffer for others. Are you willing this morning to put your life on the line no matter what happens so that you can suffer for others' sake that they might come to know Christ as their Savior? I remember my wife and I were in Bible college and 
We didn't have any money, didn't have anything. Our cars were always rusted out. We were in Michigan up at Midwestern Baptist College. And, uh, and the cars, the fenders would flap up and down. They were so rusty when we drove down the road. But we were happy. We were excited. We didn't have food. We'd pray for God to feed us. And God would feed us. A buddy of mine needed his bill paid off to do his, uh, do his uh, um, final exams. And all I had was enough money to pay my bill off, so I paid his bill off. And then we went to God in prayer and said, God, we were a help to him. But what about me? Don't forget me down here. I need to pay my bill. You know what? God brought somebody. I don't know who did it, but I, somebody paid my bill off. Are we willing to enter into suffering for in the case of others that they might be saved? As a result of that, living that way, my sister-in-law, who was a Catholic, who was lost and didn't want to hear anything about the gospel, she and her husband, I mean, literally got mad at us and stormed out of our house when we tried to witness to them. After two years of watching us, called us up and said, she told my wife, she said, I don't know what you got. You have nothing, but you're always happy. It seems like no matter where you're at or what you're doing, it just seems like you have something that I can't comprehend. I don't know what it is, but I want it. My wife led her to the Lord. Are you willing to enter into suffering for others that they might be saved? Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane is agonizing because he's taking on the suffering for others. Notice it's exposing the pain of physical alteration. It says here that... He prayed more earnestly in verse 44, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was so poured out in prayer that his body physically was altered in that he's bleeding drops of blood. I thought about that, an example in the Bible. You read back in 1 Samuel chapter 1 about Hannah. She prayed, it says she was praying, she was desiring a son. It says that as she prayed, her mouth was open, but no voice came out. And the conclusion was that she must be drunk. In other words, praying to the point where physically you're altered. She was just praying. Eli, the priest of God, looks at her. There's something wrong with this woman. Listen, she's, she's altered in her physical state. She's got to be drunk. No, no person in her sane mind acts that way. And she's moving her mouth. No voice is coming out. But God, listen, God is listening when she's crying out to him. And I want you to know that if we're willing to agonize in prayer, it may alter us. It may change us. I'm going to tell you one thing right now. But God will hear us and he'll move on our behalf. It's a needful experience, not only because he's entering into the suffering for others and exposing the pain by physical alteration, but he's eliminating defeat by the strengthening of God. Verse 43, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven and strengthened him. You go all the way back into Matthew chapter 4 and verse 11 when Jesus was led of the Spirit out in the wilderness and tempted of the devil. I'm going to tell you right now, God would send his angels along to strengthen the Lord after that. And I want you to know this morning that when you agonize in prayer, 
and you it just it's a needful experience it may change you you may never be the same but i'm going to tell you this god will hear and i can do all things through christ which strengthens me if god before us who can stand against us but we got to pray the way christ prayed in the garden agony in gethsemane in john chapter 18 we read of a spiritual experience and so there is literally Jesus experiences the move of very tearful and fearful. And it was needful, but it was a spiritual experience that he'll come away with in John chapter 18 in verse 1. Now we know John presents him as the son of God. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. Now, the amazing thing is this, that the Savior enters in with his disciples. As a spiritual emphasis, Jesus is, as God, being completing his propitiation for man. Although Jesus was tearful and fearful, and although he needed to go through that experience, it never eliminated the obligation and the fulfillment and the opportunity for him to be able to satisfy the will and the way of God to redeem man. He was the propitiation for our sins. He is a savior who's entering in with his disciples. You know, back in Mark chapter 3, it says that Jesus, after he was on the mountain in prayer, it says that he called his disciples unto him. And he said this, that they may be with him. And then it says that they may preach. And I believe that God, the spiritual emphasis and experience that we have in agonizing in prayer is that we enter into the presence of God. We're entering into this opportunity to be with Christ and knowing that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And knowing that his spirit literally offers up prayers with groanings that cannot be uttered, that God can intervene, intervene into our prayer time. You know, it, it's not just us making words to say to God. It's us getting in communication where we're talking to God and He's speaking to us. The Savior empowers His disciples. He'll meet with them after the resurrection and He'll breathe on them and, and, and uh, tell them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. The disciples experience the presence of their Savior as He is with them and, and the experience of what He went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so it was a tearful experience. Why? Because a tearful experience will create or generate within me compassion for others. If I never weep in the presence of God, I'm certainly going to weep in front of someone else. I was raised by a very authoritarian dad. I went into Marine Corps. And you know, they're very authoritarian. And, uh, you, you know, I was always told men don't cry. You don't, you don't back away from your responsibilities. You get up and do what's necessary. And I, but I found this. When you get into the presence of God, it'll be a tearful experience. And God will stir your heart to generate compassion for others. It was a fearful experience. You all hear is Peter in the garden and he pulls out a sword and cuts off one of the high priest's servant's ear. 
And Jesus would have to show him that, wait, wait a minute, you don't depend on your sword, you depend on God. And he would heal the ear of the uh, high priest servant. And uh, Peter was entering into a fearful experience with his Savior, but he said, wait a minute, at that time you're afraid. Remember, you can trust God. I have found that God has never let me down. I have found that God is always with me. I have found when I cannot make a way that there is a God in heaven who is concerned about me and he'll enter in to my life as I agonize in prayer with him. The disciples needed a neat and they had a needful experience because if I have a needful experience, it'll remove my pride. There's no room for pride in ministry. There's no room for pride in our Christian life. It's not about us. We are not the center of the universe. God is the center of the universe. God is the center of life. It's not about us. It's about who Jesus Christ is and what he can do. And a spiritual experience is that literally when I get into a place of agonizing prayer, that I don't reveal to me who God really is. He's not just a superficial religion that we hold on to. He is the living God who created everything, who has saved your soul and has a will to accomplish in your life. I love what Richard Owen Roberts said in his book on revival. He said, when the revival comes, the agony over sin will be so great that the thought of prolonging life in the midst of such wickedness will be intolerable. From the very depths of men, men brings will, uh, I'm sorry, from the depths from the very depths of men's brains with uh, the cry, Oh God, save me from myself and my sin, from my wickedness and depravity, or slay me. But do not let me persist another day in this awful condition. You know, Jesus, when he was praying in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying in reference to the awful condition of man he needed to be redeemed he needed to be cleansed and christ was entering in to this relationship with his father in heaven and relationship with sinners on this earth that he might satisfy the holy god in offering himself on the cross of calvary that we might be saved and that we might be redeemed by the blood of the lamb and delivered from all of the bondage of our sins but yet oftentimes when we pray we don't enter in that way Prayer, entering into agonizing prayer. I can say this at different times in my life, there has been times that things changed because of agonizing in prayer. In 1984, I went out and started a church in Eatontown, New Jersey. And I left that church after four years, after four years in Bible college, four years in ministry, working full-time jobs, 75, 80 hours a week, sleeping three, four hours a night for eight years straight. Uh, I was burned out physically. My wife and I were drained spiritually. And I got some advice from different pastors. And they said, well, you need to turn it over to another guy, another younger uh, pastor. Uh, because, and this is what they said to me. I'll never forget it, Brother Shedler. They said this. There's all kinds of churches out there looking for pastors. You know what I found? I don't know where they're at. I looked for them. I couldn't find them. And I'll tell you, I had resumes sent out all over this country trying to get a place to pastor a church. So I went back to driving truck because I had to support myself. And uh, I had resumes sent out everywhere. One church I preached at, man, I really liked it. and uh, But they didn't like me. They didn't like my style of preaching. 
They don't want nothing to do with me. Now the church I saw, I didn't want anything to do with them, but they certainly wanted me. They called me up and said, we, we believe God wants you to be our pastor. I said, I don't know what God you're talking to, but it's not the one I'm talking to. And for a year, I was in between churches driving tractor and trailer. I was on my way to Buffalo, New York, going across Interstate 17, and God broke my heart. And I just, I was driving, I started weeping. And I, I just, I, I had to pull off to the side of the road because I couldn't see. The tears were so heavy and running so quickly out of my eyes. I got out of that truck and I literally, I went off to the side of the road. And I laid flat on the side of the road. And I stretched myself out and I cried out to God. I said, God, this is not right. You saved me and you called me to preach. God, this is not right. I need to preach. And I went, got up after God allowed me to get my composure, got back in the truck, delivered load, went home, came in the church on Sunday, my home church, and my pastor met me and said this, Mike, a deacon from Dividing Creek Baptist Church called, and they want you to come down and candidate. I'm like, okay, Dividing Creek, where in the world is that? I never heard tell of the church. I never met anybody in the church. I, you know, I had no connection whatsoever. They never got a resume, but they said this. There was a year before when I left the church, it was, I preached at another church, and one of the members of that church in Dividing Creek was at the service where I preached, and one year later they're looking for a pastor, and I'm laying up on the side of the road crying out to God. That old church member came to the deacon board and said, you know what, about a year ago I heard a young guy preach. I think he's the one you ought to find. You find out who he is. And I'm going to tell you, God connected us together. I went down there and candidated and they told me, they said, well, here's what your salary will be. There was only 30 people in the church. They said, here's what your salary will be. Well, we want you to know, we want you to know we don't have the money coming in to pay it. Are you willing to work a job? And I said, no, sir. I feel God wants me to be full-time. I'll tell you what. I said, I'll step out by faith and believe God to meet my needs. If you'll step out by faith and commit that salary to me, we pray. We got on our knees and asked God to bless. And let me tell you, I went down that church and they never missed a paycheck. That little church out in the middle of nowhere. We saw a high attendance of 169. We saw people get saved, teenagers get saved. They had one teenager in that church. And, and uh, we, when I went there, six years later, when I left to come to Ocean County, let me tell you something, that we were running like 20, 21 teenagers in the church. It was an amazing thing that God did out in the middle of nowhere. And I believe that's because I was willing to enter in with agonizing prayer. Don't take two minutes and say, oh, God, you need to provide for me. Give me a place to minister. Oh, God, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. Bye. <laughs> but much of our praying, that's the way it is. Why don't we go to God in agonizing in prayer? Uh, coming uh, to the real position that if God doesn't come through, then you're not going to make it. I'm afraid we often plan too much. We have everything strategized. And we, we know that, well, wait a minute, this is our plan for uh, these years to come. And the reality is that may not be what God wants to do. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
was overwhelmed with what was being laid on him and given to him in fulfilling the redemption of man to his father in heaven. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. What are you agonizing about this morning? What is it that you have to have God come through? Don't be, don't be ashamed. Don't withhold from crying out to the Lord. I remember years ago, we often go to a prayer advance. It's called each year with our men and women in our church. We have a men's one and a ladies one. And, and I was in a meeting with one of our missionaries. And um, I got overwhelmed with the touch of God, the move of God that I needed to pray. And I got up in the middle of the meeting. I went out and I, t- I went out. The missionaries with me went with me. He said, where are you going, Pastor? Where are you going? I said, I, don't, I, gotta, I said, I don't know where I'm going. I got to pray. God, God is impressed on my heart. I have to meet him. And there's a big field there. All, all I felt was God wanted me to get across that field. And I started going across that field. And I tell you, the burden of prayer came so heavy on me that I literally went down on my knees and I just laid out on the ground again. Said, well, you got a strange way of praying. Well, that's what the Lord keeps doing with me. He keeps laying me down. I think it's because I'm a prideful man. So he says, I don't want you on your knees. I don't want you standing up. I want you on your face. And I laid out there on that ground and that missionary was there with me. And I'm going to tell you, God revealed to me how wicked a man I was. God showed me how sinful I was. Been a pastor for years, led other people to the Lord, I discipled people, and I, I, God showed me I was a prideful man. I said, Oh God, I cried out to God, God forgive me, oh God cleanse me. I don't know how long we were out there, but I know one thing, when I got up off my face, my heart was wrenched and torn. Because of what God showed me of the wickedness of my heart. I'm just saying this. If we are willing to agonize in prayer, God will show us things that we never thought were there. And we'll get it right. God will show us ways that he can enter in and move on our behalf if we'll just talk to him in prayer. Now let me ask you something. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, thought it was necessary... To pray that type of prayer, should we be praying any less? Should we be approaching prayer with any less seriousness and commitment and resolve than what the eternal Son of God did? I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm just here to challenge you. I've been asking God, the disciples said to the Lord, teach us to pray. And I realized after I got out of Bible college, after I started a church, after I pastored another church, after I took on another church, I realized that I never had really learned how to pray. My prayer today is, God, teach me how to pray. Because in your presence is where there's grace. In your presence where's where there's blessing. In your presence where there is power. In your presence is where Jesus Christ gets glorified. He needs to be high and lifted up and everything. As my dad said, don't you play games with God. This ain't a game. And if we're going to be able to win spiritual battle, we need to do it with spiritual weapons. Agonizing in prayer. Let's pray.